who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. You are listening to Episode 4 of Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 10 Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 8th. At 10.30, the brow watch bit me to let me know that we had guests at the lock, and I went down to greet them. The three of them stood just inside the lock, Maloney in the lead, with Delman in the middle and Kurt bringing up the rear. I never really understood why Maloney felt he needed a bodyguard, but I had come to respect Kurt. We'd met several times over the Staniers that I'd been with the company, he was a good and honorable man, and if Jeff Maloney thought he needed a bodyguard, then who was I to say? Welcome aboard, gentlemen. The captain is expecting you. Clemming had the brow watch and nodded discreetly when I glanced in his direction. He'd notified the captain already. We trooped up to the cabin and exchanged the appropriate pleasantries for a few ticks before Maloney turned to me. Mr. Huang, why don't we leave them to talk captain talk for a bit? Freddy winked at me as Maloney turned and left without waiting for my agreement. I followed him out, and Kurt followed me. We headed to the wardroom and settled into chairs at the foot of the table. Kurt stood, as always. Freddy told you my plan. Maloney wasn't much on preamble. He could small talk with the best, but when it came to business, he was all business. Not in detail, sir, no. She's stepping down, Delman's stepping up. You're thinking of putting me in his empty slot on Agamemnon. If there's a plan beyond that, she hasn't shared it. Maloney sat back in his chair, and his right hand slapped the table softly. That's my plan. No hidden agendas, simple assignments of the people I've got in the slots that are available. Who are you thinking of putting his first here? Bear's ready to move up. It'll be up to Phil. I'll have to find a second to replace her. Kazyanenko can't yet. She needs another year in grade before she can sit for the ticket. I'll put it out to the fleet first, see if anybody wants to step up before I open it to the union. There are a couple of thirds who are eligible to move, but whether they want to or not, Maloney shrugged. And if I decide to stay here, you could do worse, he grinned humorlessly. I know what the Agamemnon is, Mr. Huang, and it's not an easy berth. Phil Delman has held it for a long time, and he's paid his dues. In honesty, I probably owe you better, but this is what I've got, and I'm giving you first refusal on it. Nothing on my sleeve, no agendas other than she needs a skipper. If you decide to stay here, I open it to the union. No harm, no foul. Salary and contract? Standard contract. 
You've seen them before, but I'll give you a seniority bonus for service here. You've done well by me, Mr. Huang, and I see no reason to start you on the bottom rung. How does bass plus ten sound? I let that sit for a heartbeat before offering a counter. Plus twenty. Plus fifteen, and I'll repaint the cabin. What color? Your choice. Can I sleep on it? I'd expect you to. Big decision like paint color shouldn't be rushed. Kurt was grinning over Maloney's head. It was a good offer, and I nodded. Okay, I'll sleep on it. Talk it over with my wife, and I'll send you my decision in the morning. Maloney slapped the table once more. Done. He held out his hand, and we shook on the agreement. Now, let's go get Phil and Freddy swamped. He rose. Kurt held the door for him, and we all trooped back to the cabin to gather the two captains before heading up to the bridge. Kazyanenko was there, and her eyes widened to see all of us come up the ladder. She didn't say anything, but stood at her station, eyes slipping from Freddy to me to Delman to Maloney and back. I found it interesting that Kurt disappeared from her consideration. He stood at the top of the ladder, out of the way, while Freddy went to the enunciator in the back of the bridge, and with a nod from Maloney keyed it open. Attention all hands. This is the captain speaking. As of 1,200 hours today, I will be retiring as captain of the William Tinker. Thank you all for your tireless efforts and exemplary duty. I'm proud to have been your captain. In a few ticks, Mr. Jeff Maloney will recognize the change of command by appointing Captain Philip Delman as captain, and all security logs, records, and access will pass to his control. Please grant him the same dedication and respect, which you have always given me in unstinting measure. Thank you all. That is all. Chief Manus joined us on the bridge, and her eyes were shining a bit. I knew this couldn't have been a surprise to her, but it was all moving so fast. I hadn't had a chance to talk to her about it. She walked over to stand beside me, but before we could do more than nod, Maloney spoke. At 1,200 hours on this date, 2372 January 8th, with you as witnesses and with the authority as owner of this vessel, I hereby relieve Captain Frederica Victoria de Groot from her duty as captain of this vessel, and in her place appoint Captain in good standing Philip Robert Delman to carry on command and operation of the solar clipper William Tinker, pursuant to the rules and regulations set forth under the Confederated Planets Joint Committee on Trade and in accordance with the terms of their respective contracts. He turned to Freddy with a smile and a handshake. I take this step at the request of Captain de Groot and offer my heartfelt thanks and support for all she has done for the company, the ship, her crew, and for me. Freddy took the offered hand and nodded but didn't say anything. Maloney turned to Delman and offered the same hand. Congratulations, Captain Delman. I'm confident that you'll continue your exemplary service in command of the William Tinker. Delman took the offered hand and then offered his to Freddy, almost shyly. Then the mob that had gathered behind me while I was watching the changeover exploded onto the bridge. I'd gotten used to thinking of the bridge as relatively spacious, but with an extra fifteen crew in there, I began to be concerned for the structural integrity. Everybody seemed to be laughing and talking and crying at once, everybody but Kurt, who'd managed to create a security buffer in front of his boss, and Captain Delman, who'd been blocked in the corner and was looking a bit ignored, if the truth were told. I stepped around Kurt, who smiled and winked at me without taking his eyes off the boiling and joyous throng, and offered my hand to him. Congratulations, Captain Delman. I'm Ishmael Huang, first mate. He smiled then, and it seemed an honest enough one. Ah, Mr. Huang. Congratulations on getting your master's license. A milestone, to be sure. Thank you, sir. I owe a lot of it to that woman over there. I nodded in Freddy's direction. She's an amazing inspiration. He didn't offer more. She is. Will you be aboard this afternoon, sir? I will, Mr. Huang. 
Now that the change of command is official, I'll have my graft trunks brought over from the Agamemnon and stowed in the forward locker. I told Freddy to take her time, but she claims to be mostly packed and expects to be off the ship by 1400. Right now, though, I think I'll slip out and grab some lunch while things settle here. There'll be plenty of time to get acquainted as we go, I think. Maybe not. My quiet comment made his head turn slightly as he regarded me from the corner of his eye. Any insights you can share about the Agamemnon and her crew before I go off duty at 1800 would be much appreciated, Captain. Understanding surfaced. I suspected as much. He smiled. Why don't you and I plan on a nice cup of tea around 1500 in the cabin? Thank you, sir. I'll look forward to it. Kurt stepped a little bit to the side, and Captain Delman slipped out of the protected corner and down the ladder. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Maloney didn't have to raise his voice much, because as soon as he spoke, a hush spread across the small room. Unfortunately, I've got a meeting with the committee at 1300, and they get testy when I'm late. He turned to Freddy once more and spoke more softly. Best wishes, Freddy. I know this wasn't an easy decision for you. Please, if you decide to come out of retirement, let me know. I'll find something suitable for you. She smiled graciously in return. Thank you, Jeff. I'll keep that in mind. Maloney nodded to the crew, and Kurt cleared a path to the ladder. I accompanied them to the lock to see them off properly. None of us spoke until we got down there. I'll expect to hear tomorrow morning, Maloney spoke quietly. You're under no obligation to take it, and in a lot of ways I'd understand and appreciate if you wanted to stay here. Either way you decide is okay with me, Mr. Huang. No harm, no foul. Thank you, Mr. Maloney, I appreciate that. I'll send word first thing in the morning. Very good, Mr. Huang. Now I really must be going. Kurt led the way out of the lock, and they hurried off to keep their appointments. Clemming looked at me with one raised eyebrow as I turned back to enter the ship. Something I can do for you, Mr. Clemming. He grinned. Yes, sir, if you could send Belness out, I'd like to get some lunch. I'll do that, Mr. Clemming. He looked down at the desk and then raised his eyes to peer out from under his brows. Will you take the Agamemnon, sir? I marveled at the reach and power of Scuttlebutt. I don't know yet, Mr. Clemming. I'm going to sleep on it overnight. Oh, yes, sir, of course, sir. I headed into the ship, and behind me he added a final shot. Good luck with that, sir. I chuckled, wondering if he meant the sleeping, the decision, or the Agamemnon. I stopped at the closet that we euphemistically called the ship's office to check out the OD logs before heading to the mess deck for lunch. It had been long-standing tradition aboard for import watchstanders to eat in the mess deck, officers included. That saved the mess crew from having to set up the wardroom for what was often a single person. Mel and Marcus were already holding down a table in the corner. I joined them with a full tray and a fresh cup of coffee, after reminding Belness that Clemming was waiting. I decided to beat them to the punch. So, how long have you all known that Freddy was retiring? Mel looked sideways at the cargo chief. She's wanted to retire for Stanyers. She's just been waiting for you to pass the exam. Congratulations on that, by the way, Marcus toasted me with his coffee mug. Mel nodded her agreement and lifted her own mug. Yes, congrats. It's been a busy day. Anyway, we talked about it while you were over at the Chernyakova. She put your name in months ago. I think she was beginning to think they wouldn't ever get around to it. Well, I haven't been the easiest person to catch up with. I dug into the chicken casserole. Chief Voorhees had certainly approved over the Staniers. I was frankly surprised he hadn't moved up and on, but he seemed happy enough where he was. Are you kidding? Mel snorted. I've seen him pull firsts out of the lock on docking to sit. If they wanted you, they'd have found you. The chicken was good. It was easy to overcook chicken when making it in bulk to feed a group, but John managed to keep it moist and tasty. Marcus leaned in. Are you going to take it? Mel put a hand on his arm. Down, boy. 
She said it with a smile. This isn't something I can commit to without at least talking it over with Jen. Mel looked at me with a bit of a sour look. Good luck with that. I shrugged with my eyebrows and savored the coffee. There wasn't much more to say, and the lunch mess was nearing an end, so we bustled and bust, and I headed back to my stateroom to get my kit together. When I got there, I realized that I really had made up my mind, or rather, admitted that I'd made up my mind. I stood there in my room, locker open, and felt very bad for what was to come. Some things are worth doing. I told myself that out loud as I started stripping ten stanniers of accumulated living off the desk, out of the drawers, down from the bulkheads. It all went into the grav trunk. I tossed a pair of dress khakis and a ship suit into the kit bag and zipped it up. I looked at the chrono on the wall and realized that it was almost 1,400. I'd packed my whole life in less than half a stan. Thinking ahead to the evening, I winced at the oversight. A soft tap came from the door, and I stepped back from the grav trunk so I could open it. Freddie stood there. She was already in civvies and looked calm and relaxed. Her eyes flicked to the stateroom and back to mine. I thought you were going to sleep on it. I shrugged. I figured I should be ready in case I decide to take it. She smiled knowingly. Uh-huh. She then opened her arms and gathered me into a hug. She felt frail and small, probably because she was frail and small. But she hugged fiercely and with abandon. When she let me go, she looked up into my face, and I realized for the first time just how short she was. I'm not a tall guy, but as long as I'd known her, I'd always thought of her as taller than me. Stepping back from the hug, her bright bird-like eyes gleaming in the light from the overhead, I realized how much stature has to do with perception. She held out her hand. Here, you'll need some, and I'd be honored if you'd wear these. The golden stars of Captain gleamed in her palm. Those are yours. I blurted it before I thought. Actually, they were my father's. He gave them to me when he retired. I carried them for stanniers before I was able to wear them. They should stay out here in the deep dark. He'd have liked that. I was caught by surprise. She glanced into my room once more, but didn't say anything. Down the passage, Aponis maneuvered her grav trunk out of the cabin, and she turned at the movement. Godspeed, Captain Wong, and safe voyage. She smiled up at me one last time, and some whim or other darted across her face. She reached up and pulled my face down to hers and kissed me once on the forehead. Then she was gone. Just flitted off down the passage, a hawk in sparrow's feathers, looking almost grandmotherly with her gray hair already growing out of the spacer crop and into something less formal. Aponis ducked his head in my direction once, but said nothing before turning to scurry after her with the grav trunks in tow. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Chapter 11, Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 8th. Around 1430, I went down to the galley and found John Voorhees lining up his evening meal. He was a methodical sort and liked to make sure he had all the stores he needed before he began the cooking. It worked well for him, and he'd trained his messmates to handle a lot of the routine work with minimal supervision. Congratulations, Mr. Huang, he said it as soon as I stepped into the galley. Thank you, Mr. Voorhees. Will you take it, sir? I'm going to sleep on it, see what my wife has to say, I think. Yes, sir, of course, sir. He was grinning. I could sense I was having a bit of an issue with my credibility. Is there something I can help you with, sir? Yes, John, it seems the new skipper is a tea drinker. Oh, yes, sir, I know. Mr. Wyatt from the Agamemnon he sent over a few of his favorites, and I've put a kettle on the stove. If it catches on, we'll reconfigure the hot water tap out on the urns. Think it will? Voorhees shrugged. I like a cup of now and again myself, sir. Some of the other crew may find it to their liking. Would you send Mr. Vec up to the captain with the appropriate fixings around 1,500, Mr. Voorhees? Already on it, sir. He nodded to a tray with two cups, an open teapot, and a small plate of what looked like sugar cookies. Very handsome, Mr. Voorhees. Very handsome indeed. You taught me well, sir. He was serious. Carry on, Mr. Voorhees. Aye, sir. I turned back out to the mess deck but stopped at the door. Wyatt sent over tea... From the Agamemnon. Oh, yes, sir. Out of the goodness of his heart, or did he want something in trade? Oh, well, sir, it wasn't like that at all, sir. What was it like then, Mr. Voorhees? Well, once the announcements were made formal and all, I sent Vec over to the Agamemnon to see what the captain liked in terms of food and such, sir. I wanted to make the new guy feel welcome. You understand, sir. I tried to stifle a grin. Go on, Mr. Voorhees. Mr. Wyatt is their cargo man, but does most of the cooking because he knows stores and buying and selling, sir. Yes, it's a small crew, Mr. Voorhees. I suspect there's a certain amount of doubling up required. Indeed, sir, indeed. Go on, Mr. Voorhees. You sent Vec over to find out what the skipper likes. Oh, yes, sir. Mr. Wyatt was quite helpful and gave Vec a nice list of recipes that the new captain favors and even sent over a few boxes of tea in return. Voorhees winced. In return, Mr. Voorhees... In return for what? Uh, well, Vec might have had a bucket of Sarabanda Dark with him when he went over, sir. Might have had a bucket. Yes, sir. He paused for a couple of heartbeats. Or two. You sent two buckets of my favorite coffee to the Agamemnon, just to be neighborly, while you found out what the new skipper liked to eat and drink. Exactly, sir. Neighborly. 
I couldn't have said it better myself, sir. You didn't send a list of my favorite meals over as well, did you? Oh, no, sir, that would be impertinent. Thank the gods for that. They don't have a cook who can make them, so what would be the point, sir? You raise a valid point, John, and one I wouldn't have considered. Thank you, sir. He smiled at me. At me. Not the first mate. At me. You taught me well, sir. Safe voyage and thank you. Thank you, John. Safe voyage. I managed not to bump into the doorframe leaving the galley. I was touched beyond measure by the gesture. I went out to the lock to check on Clemming and found Belness holding down the chair. All quiet, Mr. Belness. So far, sir. It's early yet, and the first ones off on liberty haven't really had a chance to get into much trouble yet. The rest haven't had a chance to go. I chuckled. The only real entertainment on Brow Watch is watching them stumble home. So true, sir. So true. The chrono over the lock read 1445. Is Captain Delman aboard? Yes, sir. He came through just a few ticks ago when I was relieving Clumming. Is he wandering around loose? I must have sounded alarmed. Oh, no, sir. Clumming took him up to the cabin. Very well, Mr. Belness. Carry on. Aye, aye, sir. Commencing to carry on. And chuckled and settled down to the watch station and pulled up what looked like an able spacer course. I headed up to the cabin and knocked on the door. I knew it wasn't going to be Freddy's voice. I knew it was going to be Philip Delman who responded, but it still took me aback just a bit to hear the baritone, calm. I slipped into the cabin and closed the door behind me. It seems fatuous to say congratulations or welcome aboard under the circumstances, Captain, but congratulations and welcome aboard. He was standing in the middle of the cabin, and I could see a grav trunk opened in the sleeping quarters. He had put up a single picture on the desk. It had its back to me, so I couldn't see what it was. He chuckled sympathetically. Yes, thanks, I know what you mean. He scanned the cabin in a slow turn. I'm just trying to figure out what color. What color, Captain? He held out his hand. We're either going to be working together for the next while, or you're going to be going over to my old berth to figure out what color to paint my old cabin. Whichever way it works, call me Phil. He smiled. I shook his hand. Ishmael then, Phil. Tea should be right along. The knock on the door came right on cue, and Phil replied with, Come. The door swung open, and Vex walked in, doing a very credible job managing the two-handed tray I'd seen in the galley. Mr. Voorhees compliments Captain and a fresh pot of lapsang. Captain, this is Mess Attendant Neil Vex. He assists Mr. Voorhees in the galley. Thank you, Mr. Wong. You may put that on the table right there, Mr. Vex, and thank Mr. Voorhees for me. Vex slipped a tray onto the boardroom table as indicated. Aye, aye, Captain, is there anything else I can do for you? The Captain actually stopped to think about it for a moment before shaking his head. No, thank you, Mr. Vex. Vex grinned, nodded his head once, and slipped out of the cabin. We turned to the tea, and it did make a nice break from coffee. I wasn't much of a tea drinker, but the smoky, resiny flavor of the lapsang was one I recognized from long ago and far away. We settled back under the chairs, and Phil opened the conversation. So, what do you want to know, Ishmael? Anything you think I should know that will help me decide to take the Agamemnon or not? Well, I assume you mean the reputation the ship has? I gave a sideways kind of nod. It does have a bit of odor among the crews. He sipped his tea and thought for a moment. The ship has had its problems. As crews go, well, let's just say it's small. I've been her captain for going on six Staniers, and the only constant has been the first mate. She was there when I joined the crew, and I suspect she'll be there when you leave. That's a long time in grade. She hasn't been invited to sit for captain. She has, actually, twice that I know of. 
Anything you can share? He stared into his mug for a moment. I never heard anything from the panels. I have my own suspicions, but I'll let you draw your own conclusions after you've met her. Next time we're in port, look me up, buy me a beer, and we can talk. Fair enough. You sound like you think I'm going to take it. I do. Should I? No, I'd be lying if I said yes, but I'd probably be lying if I said no. Truth is, Ishmael, I haven't a clue what you should do. I'd be pleased if you'd stay on here and help me get settled with my new crew. You've been aboard here longer than I was on the Agamemnon. You probably know more about this ship and crew than Freddy does. I shook my head. No, I doubt that. Regardless, I don't know what you should do. I don't know what you need to know in order to help decide. I'll spare you the embarrassment of having to tell me that my ship is known as the worst ship in the DST fleet. At least some of that is my fault, because as you likely already know, it's always the captain's fault. True, but your first has rather a sharp reputation on the docks, and your crew, for all its small size, gets in as much hot water with the authorities as any other two ships in the fleet combined. He sighed. Eh, sad but true. As I said, I'll leave you to draw your own conclusions regarding the first mate. She has a sharp reputation, as you put it, and I won't argue that it's not deserved. Maybe you'll have a different experience, so I'll not color it any more than your own preconceptions will. As for the crew? He sighed and sipped his tea. When you put the three biggest troublemakers in the fleet into the same hull, I'm not sure what you should expect, except that they'll get worse. Put them ashore? Uh, they're just clever enough not to step over the line. They're maddening in that regard. They're barely competent to stand watch. The first mostly deals with them, dragging them in for masts every few weeks. The second is in charge of bailing them out of the local brigs when practicable. If I had my preferences, I'd toss a lot of them onto the nearest dock and leave them. Why don't you? I tried. They're never bad enough to fire without a union grievance being filed. The legal boffins assure me that the grievance is likely to be upheld. I don't see it myself, but they're a conservative lot, and putting up with the shenanigans is less expensive than defending a grievance. Easy for them. They're not out in a tin can in the deep dark. He toasted me with his muck. You understand very well. What's their rationale? Prejudicial circumstances. Say what? That's the legal term. Invalid termination due to prejudicial circumstances. What does that mean? It means they think we don't like them. But you don't like them. They're troublemakers. And that, my dear Mr. Huang, is exactly the problem. They've got us dead on. We don't like them. And they know we don't like them. And they continue to make sure that we continue not to like them. I groaned. And so long as it goes on, you can't fire them because it's not grounds for firing them. And you can't defend against a charge of presidential circumstances, even if you had a valid reason. Exactly right. Welcome to my nightmare. Are you certain you want to take it on? He smiled sardonically. Actually, I never was certain I wanted to take it on. I have some personal issues coloring my decision as well. He glanced at my wedding band. Wife not happy with your becoming a captain? Well, actually, she doesn't know yet. I just found out this morning myself. You've had a busy day, Ishmael. So have you, Philip. I took a deep breath and decided to take a chance. No, she's not happy with my being a spacer. Period. Really? What's the problem? She's station staff here. 
She thought once we were married I'd settle down. I thought I had settled down by staying with the tinker all this time. Milk runs and home for a long weekend every other month. You married a stationer? Yes. How long have you been married? Seven Staniers. Kids? I shook my head. He stared at me for a long moment. Ishmael, you're a spacer. At the risk of putting our professional relationship at risk, I have to ask, what were you thinking? I took a deep breath. Well, I'm not a spacer. He barked a laugh. You're dressed like a spacer. You ship out on a ship. You've been to the academy at Port Newmar. You've sat for bloody captain and made it on the first go. Ishmael, my lad, I hate to break it to you, but you are most definitely a spacer. <laughs> All right, you got me there. What I mean is that I wasn't born to it. My mother was an ancient lit professor at a university over in Dunsany Roads. When she died, the company there wanted to deport me, but I signed on a freighter instead. That was 20 Staniers ago now, and I know a lot more about being a spacer than I did then, but I didn't grow up a spacer. Still, you married the station? I was young. You have to understand that the groundlings getting married is growing up. If you're not married, you're not grown up. That's how I was raised. Grow up, get married, get a job, have a life. Phil snorted, and then what? Die, I guess. Well, life has long been recognized as a terminal condition. You were hot to grow up, so you married this stationer, and she's been somewhat less than accepting of your life choices for the last seven Staniers? That's a fair summary. He lifted his mug and mocked toast again. In that case, Ishmael, my lad, you're not going to have any trouble with the Agamemnon. If you can manage that situation, nothing about my lads and ladies over there should faze you. I'm not sure I am managing it. I don't know why I admitted it. Something in the glib response. He turned to face me directly then. He spoke softly but quickly, and if his responses were glib and flip before, nothing that he said next carried the least bit of humor. Then you're smarter than you seem, and you seem pretty smart to me. My opinion is that you're probably not managing it, except through massive application of avoidance behavior, and that's going to bite you in the ass eventually. That experience will also serve you in good stead if you decide to take the Agamemnon. I know because that's exactly what I've been doing for the last five standards. It's not pretty, it's not clean, it makes you feel more than a little soiled about the soul at times, but it'll get you through when the alternatives don't come or are less palatable. A situation I can only imagine you've faced once or twice already when dealing with your more personal problems at home. I can't advise you on this, Ishmael, my lad, because my only answer is to get the hell out, and here I am. I'm not proud and I'm not sure. But I'm by the gods, now captain of this ship, and I can maybe, just maybe, begin to turn my life around a little. His delivery left me breathless and rang in my head like truth in the night. He'd shown me a side that I hadn't expected, although I should have, and in doing so he held up a mirror. I didn't like what I saw in it, and I put my face into my mug to escape the view. When I surfaced again, I looked over. He was spinning his mug on the table in front of him facing it, but staring into the middle distance. Thank you, Captain. I meant it. He chuckled uneasily. I'm not usually so forward on the first date, Ishmael. I snorted back a laugh of my own. I appreciate the candor, and I'm sorry I'm not going to be here to work with you. I think you'd be a hell of a skipper to work for. He looked over at me then. Some of his earlier good humor had resurfaced. I'm sorry too, Ishmael. I'd be a great man to have his first. So, how's this second who's moving up into your stateroom? Vonda Bear. He interrupted me. A woman? Yes. 
very competent, terrific astrogator, has the crew eating out of her hand. He looked skeptical. You have a problem with women officers? I thought you liked Freddy. I was a little confused by his attitude. He took a deep breath and let it out. Sorry. When you meet Gwen, you'll understand. I'm just feeling a little gun-shy at the moment. I shook my head. Vaughn is good people. Freddy wouldn't have it any other way. He nodded judiciously. I can accept that. He grinned a little sheepishly. I do have my own small crosses to bear, you see. Well, for what it's worth, Skipper, I think you're going to do fine. He smiled at me. I was surprised by how much I appreciated that. Thanks, Ishmael. I think you will, too. The conversation petered out there. After that, there didn't seem to be a lot to say. Eventually, he spoke. So what color are you going to pick, Ishmael? Color? For the cabin on the Agamemnon. I think a pale green. Something with a bit of yellow in it. You? Blue. Pale blue on those three bulkheads with a rich navy accent wall over there. I looked around, trying to envision it. That should be nice. He looked up. Yeah, I think blue. He does that to every captain? The paint the cabin thing? I don't know. Actually, when we were negotiating for me to take the Agamemnon, I think I suggested it to him. We were dickering over the percentage points, and he was at that point where he wasn't going to budge and I wanted the last chip on the table. So I agreed to whatever the offer was, but he had to paint the cabin. He took it. I snickered. What color did you pick? White. Why white? I thought it would make it look bigger. Did it? He shrugged. I don't know. I never saw it before it was painted. What color is it now? He smirked. It's still white. It's due for a fresh coat, but I was damned if I'd pay for it. Thanks for listening to Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is the Mason's Apron and is used with permission of the artist J.F. Archer. Find this and other works by J.F. Archer at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation of Durandus, offered under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com.